Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Hi, y'all. It's Angela. I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And we're going to unveil some really fun stuff today because I'm so excited to bring on another serial entrepreneur who loves opportunities when they present themselves. It's hard. It's never easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But we're going to talk about something that I'm super passionate about. And you guys know I'm not a good cook. And I have learned that our guest today is not either. But it's really funny because like he was saying, he has a platform that helps all of us who really don't know how or don't want to take the time to cook. So I'm excited. Iman, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Super excited for you to be here. I love your story and I love everything that I've read about you. But before we jump off and start talking about hungry and you guys, if you're hungry, you might want to grab a snack while you're listening or watching podcast. Um, but just tell us a little bit about your background. Cause I, I read some stuff about you, but for those of the, those of, uh, everybody that's listening, watching, I want them to know like a little bit about your background. If you'll share your journey before, the whole pivot thing with the pandemic and what you guys have built, if you can share a little bit about that first. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I am 34 years old, uh, born and raised in Northern Virginia, DC area. Um, I uh, had a path that I, th- that I thought I was going to be on. I wanted to be a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, went to law school, and um, about six months before I graduated, my uh, my brother, who is my co-founder and all the companies that we've started, um, came to me with an idea of you know uh, a mobile app that allows you to essentially report incidents of violence and crime. So if you see something, it was basically an app for see something, say something. Um, one of our friends was one of the survivors of the Virginia Tech shooting, and just the aftermath of that got him thinking and. Um, so six months before I graduated, I uh, joined him as um, the co-founder of the company, knew nothing about entrepreneurship. Um, we worked out of his garage, literally out of his garage um, uh, for what, a year? No salary, no pay, uh, kind of scary actually. Um, and uh, we then met the right people, brought on some other co-founders, who then helped us make some really good decisions and just kind of catapulted the business from there. Um, that business exited, we sold that. Um, and uh, we are now in our second um, tech venture company called Hungry, uh, about four years into the business now. So what was the whole inspiration behind Hungry and how was it born? I'm assuming that when you and your brother are like, okay, we've built this once 
and we know we can sell it and exit. So I'm assuming starting a second startup wasn't as scary or risky going into the second one. Is, is that a, a right assumption? <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, so, so the first company was called Live Safe. Um, so it was myself, my brother, and um, a co-founder named Jeff Grass. Um, so the three of us, you know, uh, worked on that business. And then the way that Hungry kind of came about was we were obviously eating lunch at the office every single day. Um, and I have, you know, my background is Persian. We eat a lot of home-cooked meals. And the idea was, how do we get all these home chefs, um, these moms and dads and really good cooks who are cooking meals inside their home, how do we create revenue for them by allowing them to sell their food to people who go to work every single day? So rather than me eating Subway and Panera Bread, I would eat authentic Thai food or Persian food or Italian food or you know Mexican food. Um, so that was the original idea. And totally against the grain, you actually can't sell food out of your home and, and deliver it to people. Um, but we were like, we're going to do this. This sounds like a great idea. And so um, uh, we left Live Safe uh, one by one. And um, very scary starting a company again because you know you you're so far removed from those original entrepreneurial days of starting from scratch, where you're literally thinking what do we do today um what's what's next you know what how, where do we start and what's the name of the company you know what's the logo what is you know um so uh you know we were in what year six and seven at LiveSafe. so um but we uh we did it we were working till you know three in the morning four in the morning um for the first year of this um and uh, it was great. You know, we come up with a lot of really, really bad ideas and some really, really good ones. And the bad ones kind of go away quickly. Um, and the good ones over time, you know, stick, stick. And uh, you start to kind of grow and develop and add people. And uh, a lot of positive things started to, to happen. But, but that was the original idea around Hungry. We pivoted from a home cooking model to chefs that work out of these incubator kitchens and these ghost kitchens that are all over the country and um, delivering their authentic delicious meals to offices for corporate catering so you know who knew there was a hundred billion dollar corporate catering market annually um, and Panera is scooping up most of that revenue so Hungry's job was essentially to take that revenue and distribute it to all these independent chefs who were trying to make it um, and, and that's basically the mission of the company. But it's so awesome because it is like, so against what it's like, you can't cook in your home and in working in hospitality and events for two decades, I got into the middle of, um, clients saying like, well, it's going to be like a potluck or, my grandmother's going to make the cake. And like, I had to be the, the bad news person where I'm like, well, your venue says it has to be a licensed person that has a catering license and no, you can't just go serve the alcohol. There has to be ABC bartenders and no, your grandmother cannot make the cake at this particular venue because it's owned by the state or it's a nonprofit or, you know, there's just a long list of rules that are in place 
because if somebody gets sick, somebody sues somebody. I mean, I've seen it all. I feel like I've seen it all. And so I could see where it's like, you have this great idea and then, oh, the rules say we can't do it. But like you said, there are so many people, there's actually even chefs that run some of these catering companies that we've worked with who never actually went to culinary school, but they still identify and they're like, I'm a chef. I'm an entrepreneur. I started this company or I started this restaurant. Nobody said that like, you have to have like a, like a surgeon, you know, if if you're going to be a, a head and neck specialist, like you got to do a fellowship and you've got to, you know, go to school for 10 years. And in the cooking world, it's not so much about that. Like some of the best cooks and people that call themselves chefs, like they never even went to school for it. It was, they grew up around their mother or their grandmother and talking about Persian food. Oh my gosh. The most fun weddings that we used to do (laughs) the Persian weddings and the food and the music and the DJs. Oh my gosh. Like we would fly in famous DJs from DC Um, like from the Persian community who are specifically for like Persian parties and my very first Persian party, people would like, they didn't mean to, but there were tables in the way and they all just like rushed the dance floor. And like the first three tables in the road just like fell and like all the China goes down and it smashes and breaks. And like, they keep (laughs) dancing. It's like nothing happened. And we're over there like cleaning it up. I'm like, let's move all the tables out of the way. And so what was like the dinner area with the small dance floor became like the entire ballroom was like a dance floor with no dinner tables. It was, it was great. You guys know how to party and the food is incredible. It's a huge part of the culture and something with the Persian weddings, we would have to get it. Um, our clients would have to sign an addendum to some of these places that had these strict rules because they would bring these amazing, like crazy desserts and like do these amazing spreads. Yeah. And what's it? Is it called a sofa? I can't remember. Sofa, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the big table. And it's like, you know, for for a specific culture, I'm like, you're going to have to make some exceptions because the chef here cannot make this stuff because he's not Persian. Like, you're just going to have to get over it. But I know that it, it was scary. And I'm sure a lot of chefs too. It was really scary when the restaurant scene, especially in Nashville, where I'm from, it was booming prior to the pandemic. New chefs were moving here, new restaurants were opening. And then also there were a lot of delivery services, which I don't think they knew that a pandemic was coming, but that was even a challenge for the delivery services who were pre-packaging things and shipping it out because some of their people couldn't come to work to do that. So we all know pivoting is hard, but okay, you had this idea and then you decided to work with these chefs all over that were working in these kitchens. But then how did you guys really decide when COVID hit and the pandemic hit like, oh shit, how are we going to pivot? How did it affect Hungary? So we, um, I'll take a quick step back and just share uh, not only, so Hungary is a venture back business. So we had been raising money from institutional investors um, to the tune of $30 million over um, how many years? Over like three years. And, wow. and in that group of investors, um, we were very blessed to have lots of celebrities also investing. Um, 
Jay-Z uh, put in millions, you know, Usher, Kevin Hart, um, uh, you know, there's NFL players and Dominican Sue and Todd Gurley. And so we, we were very attractive to um, uh, the celebrity kind of elite who wanted to get into helping, you know, using their money to obviously um, uh, grow their wealth, but in doing so helping a community, for example, chefs who mm -hmm. are naturally disadvantaged and that it's not a level playing field for them. Most chefs will not make it past 60K a year um, annually and, and they work crazy hours. And so um, what had just happened right before the pandemic was we had just closed on our Series B fundraise. Um, we had raised, you know, something close to $20 million. And uh, the story was we were going to take this money and basically launch in 24 cities um, in two years. So a city per month, basically. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we were, I believe, in five or six cities. Um, we were growing revenue. The company was growing. There was a lot of excitement around Hungary. Um, yet our single source of revenue came from offices. Like, that's it. 100% of Hungary's revenue comes from offices and nothing else. And, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and so we had just raised the money about a couple of weeks right before the pandemic hit with the story being we're going to basically, you know, world domination um, in a good way. We're going to uh, help chefs yeah. across the country make a ton of money. And by the way, chefs on the Hungry platform were making upwards of 10, 20, $30,000 a month. That's incredible. So, um, so the pressure that was, you know, that, that we had taken on when the pandemic hit and the revenue source completely dried up in like two weeks. Um, so here we are, you know, sitting at a table, we had just raised $20 million. We've got all these employees and all these cities that we're in. Um, and our single source of revenue totally eliminated. So what that means is the business now has a crazy high burn rate. You know, you, you're, you're basically all the employees and the offices and all the bills and everything that you have to pay for is no longer being paid for by the clients that you have because that revenue source is gone. So if you remember during the early days of the pandemic, um, most companies quickly furloughed mm -hmm. almost everyone. You know, this yep. every industry, tech, restaurants, hospitality, um, you know, was, I remember watching the jobs report and every week it was like another million people were laid off. Another million people were laid off. Um, we uh, decided to take kind of a, a different radical approach um, and not only not let anyone go, but like let's double down and reinvest in the people that we have um, and hopefully figure out what we can do that allows us to survive. We were in total survival mode at that point. Um, and, and our investors were nervous. You know, there's a lot of, you know, they had just written checks of a million, two million, five million. Um, so a lot of people, you know, are wondering what's going to happen to, and rightfully so, right? Um, and we had, um, we're very lucky to have some very smart employees in our company. Um, who came up with some brilliant ideas during the, the pandemic. Um, two of them, both, both females on our team, both super smart, um, very, you know, uh, just strategic thinkers. Um, 
came up with uh, two ideas that helped us, you know, totally catapult the business. One was what we now call the virtual experience. Um, so basically taking all of our chefs, the talented, the ones who are very outgoing and they can put on a show, put them on Zoom and have them teach employees of Microsoft and Apple and Google and Amazon how to cook delicious meals at home because everyone's stuck at home. But to make it interesting, let's also send people these kits that have the dry goods and the knives and the cutting boards and the cups and you know the, the different parts and pieces. Um, let's have that delivered to the employees' homes so that they can, it's, it's a very immersive experience. Um, we were the only ones in the country that were doing this, where we would send these kids. Everyone was jumping online, right? Everything became virtual, but no one was actually producing these kits and then shipping it out. It was in, in about 60 days, we set up this massive factory at our headquarters. So this tech headquarters, we moved all this um, tables, got, every, got rid of everything. And all of our catering captains turned into these workers who would come in and help us assemble these kits. Um, and all of us would, you know, frankly, all, everyone would die. You know, we, we all got in and to help out. Teamwork. Um, teamwork. You're just trying to, you know, figure out what's going to work. Um, and uh, the incredible thing was companies um, wanted to spend on their employees. They wanted to keep morale high. So um, they were using Hungry's virtual experience as, a tool to keep people not just engaged, but having fun. Um, so we went from zero to doing over $1.5 million a month in like four months. Um, totally new business, started from scratch. We knew nothing about this industry of basically corporate gifting. Um, and uh, the sales team pivoted, the operations team had to totally do an overhaul. Um, and today that part of our business is the number one, it's the tip of the spear, it's the driving um, uh, piece of the business. Another thing that we started doing was deliveries for um, those who need help. So the government of different states called on Hungary to, hey, can you deliver food to you know, 1 million people who are stuck in their homes and they, they used to get meals from the YMCA or from their local school? Um, we need help with delivery. Can you guys help? So um, uh, at one point in New York, we were delivering a million meals a month to city residents. Wow. It was crazy. Um, the operation that we had to go set up in New York was uh, nuts. It was at like Pier 36. The city like locked down the pier for us. Um, and we partnered with a couple different catering partners that were local. And we just we're delivering, you know, with hundreds and thousands of drivers um, uh, throughout the city. Uh, you know, so again, it was lots of, now when you look back, you're like, you know, that was really cool. That was awesome. We did a lot of great things in the moment, terrifying, stressful. Um, there were lots of tears shed from people on the team, um, sleepless nights, you know, uh, but it allowed us to continue to grow we went from survival to, to thrival. Um, we had a record revenue year um, this past year. We doubled our sales from the prior year, which doesn't make any sense because 98% um, of our revenue came from sources that didn't exist prior to COVID. Um, so, you know, a lot of this is just kudos to the team. They um, stuck together, they figured it out. And I think 
the lesson for us was like, if you give them a chance, people will come through um, and they will figure out how to, you know, make things work. Um, so anyways, that's- That the- is so odd. I mean, it gives me chills, like listening to you say it out loud because some companies like the, the founder, the CEOs, the leadership team. And I mean, I've been in meetings before where, I mean, back in my early days when I was in healthcare and it's like, you didn't even get to sit at the table, you know, with all the leadership team, like I was sitting in the back and take minutes. (laughs) And it's like, sometimes people would speak up, but it's like, if you're not a leader or a founder or an owner, it's like, oh, don't listen to them. Like they don't know anything, but like the way that you guys empowered your team members and your employees who had ideas and then look at what was born from it and like, what a way to pivot and nothing's easy. Like if it were easy, everybody would do it. But one thing that we know is like, people have to have food to survive and to live period. And a lot of, and the restaurants that are still alive, even in Nashville, the ones that are winning are the ones that figured out how to keep all their people and pivot and do like, there was one caterer that they have a small restaurant, but 80% of their revenue all came from events And they had this huge team that is used to working every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no matter what Sundays was churches, Saturdays was weddings, Fridays was ball games, like all the thing, all the social things completely wiped out. And they came together and said, like, similar to what you guys did, like, let's put these kits together and, you know, assembling things. And then they did a great job on social and that's just like one local company. But then there's also a lot of people that said, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm going to get out of hospitality and do something else. And that was a different way for them to pivot. But with you guys being a new company, a newer company and having all these investors, it's like, what a way to not let them down. But more importantly, it's like helping all the communities and giving them something that they have to have to live. And I think New York at the, towards the beginning of the pandemic, wasn't it one of like the worst places where people were really sick. And so on top of you all having to do that, how did you decide to like, how did you keep everybody safe with, you know, delivering all these things? Like, were there extra precautions, like things that you guys had to do? Yeah, we, um, you know, right now, I think everyone's a little bit desensitized to, to COVID mm-hmm. to a certain degree. But yeah, at the beginning, New York City was one of the epicenters. It was, I think it was the worst city in the world for like a good four months mm-hmm. um, uh, with, with the pandemic. And so um, the city was totally locked down. You were not allowed to walk in the streets at all. And we were, our headquarters is in DC. So we were trying to decide who's going to go from DC from a management perspective and help set up this massive operation. Um, and, you know, everyone's got families. And so you're, uh, you know, everyone's going home and, and talking to their family and saying, you know, look, I gotta, I gotta go into New York and, um, uh, you know, help set this thing up. So we, you know, we're masked, you know, gloves. Um, we, you know, we're, we're very, you know, strict about, you know, social distancing with the team when we were up there. Um, but it was hard, you know, you have hundreds, uh, at some point, you know, at one point thousands of drivers that are helping make this delivery happen. Um, 
we had to help, we, we were helping the city come up with the rules around how do you deliver meals in a COVID environment, in a pandemic. So, you know, you're not, you know, knocking on door and waiting to hand it off. Um, uh, so there's just a lot of things that, you know, in the early days we had to figure out that now, you know, has become very commonplace in, in the norm. Um, testing a lot of things, you know, in New York City, you know, it's, it's hard to deliver you know, 20,000 meals to a corporate tower, um, you know, while keeping social distancing and while trying not to, you know, uh, just make sure everybody's safe all the time. So a um, lot of, you know, trial and error and figuring it out um, that had to happen. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things that I um, would encourage in all the listeners, you know, to not to be afraid of um, doing things wrong the first, second, third, fourth time, because most of the times when you try something new, like it's always going to be wrong. It, you know, it will not be what you start with is not what you're going to end with. Um, uh, to, to entrepreneurs who are, you know, they're always thinking about what's the name of the company and the website. And the, a lot of the times what you start with, you will change it over and over and over again until you figure out what the, what the market wants, what the product market fit is. Um, so we just kind of took that philosophy and put it into play during during the pandemic. Um, you know, the, the, Madison is the um, uh, is a person on our team who came up with the idea of virtual. She was selling virtual experiences without even like us being involved. She was just surviving. She was just trying to figure out, all right, like my 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 book of business is totally dead. Right, I'm not going to be able to sell to corporate offices. So she had just asked a couple chefs to go online start teaching, you know, her clients how to cook different, you know, things. And she was putting kits together on her own and sending them out. And, you know, all of a sudden, a month into the pandemic, we see this little, you know, $7,000 of revenue that came in. I'm like, what is this from? Where did, you know, and Madison's, you know, raising her hand, like, hey, that was me. Um, and we're like, what is this? And dug in and there's a, you know, multi-million dollar business that, you know, we kind of tripped into and fell, um, fell on. So, you know, it's uh, a lot of, there's a lot of these types of stories that we kind of encountered. Another employee found, you know, found another opportunity. Um, another one reached out to New York City and lo and behold, that became this multi-million dollar delivery opportunity. Um, so it was a lot of just folks uh, not stopping and not getting stuck in a very crappy situation. Well, and you really hit on something that I want to circle back to the whole like corporate gift giving and even like for when we have big groups that come into town and depending on who the client is and what their personality is, because we have some people that have a very giving personality and they're like, we in every hotel room, we want everyone to have a box and our budget's a hundred, $200 per person per room. And then we have some people that are like, why do we need welcome bags? <laughs> I'm like, well, when people are traveling like for meetings or events, like it's nice to give them something, you know, from the city. But whenever we think of swag or we think of corporate gift giving, it used to be something like kind of just out of a catalog where now the pandemic has, and, and again, hospitality and companies have learned to pivot and think of themselves as like this corporate gift giving. 
And I know a local company that decided they were amazing. They had like these cool mixology things going on at events. And then they're like, oh, okay, we can't do it anymore. And they started a TikTok account and then blew up on TikTok, like teaching people how to make cocktails. And then that turned into, oh, do you want us to send? And I know with alcohol, it's a little bit different because different states have different rules, but they were still able to abide by it. And they would like send the little kits. And then it was neat. It was like, okay. And then everybody get on at 6 p.m. for like a group happy hour. You know, these are some different organizations that I was in, but I know that companies were doing it too. I know my mom's company, instead of giving people, the, the t-shirts and, you know, the stuff, the water bottles that we, that we usually get, they were doing this type of thing so that everybody could get on and involve like the whole family, which I think really brought companies and brought coworkers a lot closer together because people actually got to see like inside of other people's homes and they're like, Oh, that's your dog. And that's your kid. And I don't know. Like, I think so much good has come out of it. The people that harp on like the negativity and the bad stuff. I'm like, well, a lot of good, good things come out of some tragedies. And when you don't, the thing is a lot of us that own businesses, none of us knew what the hell to do. And we're all kind of in the same boat and we're all trying to figure it out. And if we had that mentality of like, everyday entrepreneurship, like if something isn't working, like let's figure out and fix it, then I feel like a lot less pressure would be put on us to go make a million dollars or go get the ROI because it, it, it's like, if it's not working pivot, we don't have to have a pandemic to pivot, but do you think that if the pandemic never happened, you guys would have just stayed on the trajectory of what, what you were doing and you guys who never would have gotten into the whole delivery service. Yeah, we, there's no way we would have, um, we, the, the, you know, the pandemic has caused us to create four new lines of businesses, um, that will, that is catapulting hungry way faster than we ever expected. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny, I was talking to um, Jeff yesterday, um, my co-founder, um, and we were like, look, the, the pandemic was super crappy in the first few months for everyone across the board. Um, and, you know, everyone's figuring out, like, what do you do? Do you, do, you know, do you continue to do what you're doing? Do you switch jobs? Do you, you know, how do you support your family? All, you know, all these different things go through your mind. Um, but after all of this, you know, there's a lot of businesses that were able to um, pivot and create and pivot and innovate. And um, a lot of new things have now, you know, uh, been created for the for, you know, for our society, country, world that, that didn't exist before. Um, now, the, the sad truth of it is there are a lot of businesses that also, you know, went out of business and uh, the pandemic helped accelerate, you know, those who, you know, were, were, were trying to make it. Um, but lots of good also can come from a really, really bad situation. And this was one of them. And, um, I, I think we got, there's a, you know, a little bit of luck, a lot of hustle. Um, and, uh, we have a very good investor group that kind of stuck by us the whole time. Um, let us do our thing kind of, you know, totally, you know, backed off and stuff, not even backed off. They, they offered help in different cities to, to be able to continue to support us. And, um, 
you know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a really good place uh, today that trajectory wise, we're, we're probably gonna grow, you know, three or four times faster than we expected um, pre, pre-pandemic. Which is awesome. So I have a, a couple more questions. Like, so when a city hires you guys to do this, and I'm, I'm assuming like you didn't have hundreds of drivers lined up. Like, did you all partner with like, I know in every corner on New York, it's easy to get a cab. <laughs> so did y'all partner with taxi drivers that couldn't take people or like, how did you a- attack the whole thing of like, oh my God, we have to hire all these drivers. How did you guys do that in, in New York? We would, um, so when we, we first did it in New York, um, we essentially had to create the playbook to then, you know, if you can do it in New York, you can do it anywhere. Um, and so we, we staffed up a, a hiring team of about 10 whose sole job was every city we were awarded, you know, this, these contracts to go in and do the delivery. Within two weeks, they would staff up to a minimum of like 50 drivers. And over the course of a month, we could get it to a couple hundred drivers. These are people who are screened, trained, background checks, totally qualified. Um, so it was a it was a machine that we had essentially set up um, through the you know through New York, building it, and then we were able to apply it to the rest of the country. Um, and then what happened after the pandemic, you know, has kind of subsided in these cities, is now private companies who have these meals that they want delivered are using Hungary instead of shipping it with FedEx for last mile logistics, because we end up being, you know, we're just more cost efficient, um, cost effective for them. And so, um, again, another business is now born out of something that originally started off to help, you know, folks who needed food is now turned into, hey, this is a really sophisticated logistics setup, you know, can we tap into this for you know, we need to ship this and we need to ship that out. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's kind of how we it got to where we are today. It's funny because I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about Domino's pizza, which I, where I, everywhere I've lived growing up, like Domino's was never around, like Pizza Hut was always there, but they were talking about how when everyone thinks of Domino's, they think of pizza, but really Domino's is a logistics company. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, while Hungary provides food, it sounds like to me, when you guys went into these big cities and you got these opportunities, you came up with a freaking process that worked and then you took it to each city. And so when you look into the background of like what the consumer thinks versus like from an entrepreneur level and investor level, like, okay, logistically, if you can make it go in New York no matter what you're pushing, whether it's food or whatever it may be, when you get the logistics down right, you can pretty much deliver anything. So that that's amazing. Do you think that that hungry will continue to just focus on food and hospitality and events? Or do you think that it will expand to do other things, not just food? So, so on the virtual side, we've already expanded into um, now we have yoga classes, kickboxing. Um, and again, like you get a kit with like all the yoga stuff. Okay. Like kickboxing gloves and like water bottles and food that is good for, you know, it's, it's we've started expanding outside of just food um, and going, gone into more food and employee wellness. Um, 
on the other side of the company, we're going deeper into food. So, um, you know, pop-ups, pop-up restaurants in these corporate buildings, um, corporate catering, um, events coming back, you know, uh, live events is coming back. And so um, we're replacing, um, uh, you know, in corporate tower cafeterias with our chefs. Today, it's an, you know, it's an Indian chef, then it's a Persian chef, an Italian chef. So you're switching up the cuisines by switching up the chefs um, uh, versus just kind of having a stagnant menu every day for everybody to go through. So it's just using the power of the platform to solve different food needs um, throughout, you know, the, the corporate food sector. Uh, and then virtual is kind of this beast on its own that's just running fast. Um, and, you know, no clue how it's gonna, you know, how it's gonna turn out. Um, we just, right now we offer, I think 35 or 40 different experiences. And so companies literally are booking out for 12 months, you know, an experience a month for their employees or some are doing it for their clients. Um, they wanna impress their clients. So, you know, you can't take someone to a basketball game anymore or on a cruise or, you know, the different ways people used to schmooze. So now they're booking these hungry virtual experiences and everyone's having fun and, you know, you get a gift at home. So it's uh, a lot going on there. That's awesome. So if people want to, if anyone listening, like wants to go through this experience, do you, what, what's the best way go to the website? Is there an app? Like what's the whole customer user experience? If they go to tryhungry.com, um, there's a link at the top to, um, if you want to try a virtual experience and, um, from there, you'll see all the experiences and you can go ahead and book right on the website. And then they can, how do you guys deal with all these dietary restrictions that people are, are, um, and, and some of them, like they're legit. I know like working in events, people would select like the beef or the I'm vegetarian or I'm gluten-free or whatever. And then we would like bring out the beef and the chicken, and then we would bring the vegetarian meal. And they're, they're like, actually, um, I'd like the, the steak, the beef. And I'm like, are you just deciding to be like a part-time vegetarian? I don't know. I see that happening all the time. It, was, it used to annoy the hell out of me. And I'm like, you're either a vegetarian or a pescatarian, or you're allergic to it, or you're not like, there is no gray area here, but is that something that you just completely leave up to your chefs that are creating that? Well, or how do you guys handle that? <laughs> so when, when we were doing corporate catering in, in high volume, um, the beauty of working with independent chefs was they you know, for a chef to join our platform, they would have to adhere to the hungry rules. And part of that is if you have people that have dietary restrictions, you'd have to, as a chef, they would put that person's meal in a separate, you know, biodegradable container, whereas everyone else's food is in pans. Mm -hmm. So like lasagna, you know, pan, 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 but the 10 people that needed to be either gluten-free or can't have this in it or that, and then they would put the person's name on it as well. So it just makes it very easy for that employee to participate in the group eating and you know the communal eating, but also get their dietary needs you know totally handled in a in a safe way. So um, that's how we handled it. You know, uh, prior to the pandemic and, and post pandemic is what we're going to be doing as catering comes back on. Um, but yes, lots of dietary restrictions out there, and uh, you know, folks are picky these days and. So you just gotta, you have to be able to adapt to what the needs of the consumers are. Exactly. Like you have to, That, but, but that's great. Like to keep everything separate. And then my last question is like 
from a growth perspective, like during the pandemic, because I know like making sales calls and things like that just kind of went away. Did you guys really invest time in growing out Instagram and people started to see what you were doing? And then you found that you were getting referrals like through Instagram or what has been the best referral source for you all? So our, um, so, so pre-pandemic, our clients, office admins, EAs, and companies that were ordering from us um, would, um, would be our best source for referrals. Um, and, they, you know, they were like, hey, you're delivering food to us on floor four. Have you seen, you know, Microsoft's on number six, you know, Google's on number eight, you know, have you guys gone up and talked with them? Um, so that was pre-pandemic, a lot of just word of mouth. During the pandemic, um, a lot of our celebrity investors um, uh, would, they, they wanted to donate food to certain areas that was important to them. And mm -hmm. so they would, um, so they would uh, go on Instagram and post about hungry. So Kevin Hart did this a couple of times and he's got over a hundred million followers. So wow. he posted on his Instagram, hungry, and I have joined forces to donate food to Philadelphia. And we would deliver, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, meals to different people. Um, so a lot of our, you know, Todd Gurley did that for folks in his hometown. Um, so they would, through goodwill, um, promote Hungry on their social platforms. And, and we were just, you know, delivering food from chefs to folks that needed it. Um, so that helped get the word out on a national scale about, you know, what is hungry and, and, and who we are. Um, and right now we get a lot of business um, uh, referrals through virtual experience. So folks will come on the virtual experience. They'll have such a great time. And a lot of them are from different companies and then they'll go back and then they'll tell their company, like, let's do this, let's do this. So we've been growing quickly just through word of mouth on the virtual side. And it's so awesome. Like y'all, you have to go check out their Instagram because it's not like what you expect. And then you get there and it's like, this is fun and colorful. And like, you're celebrating, you know, all the different, it's like chicken and waffles, which is like such a Nashville thing. <laughs> and then it's like, you've got whiskey tastings and you've got mixology things. You've got tequila flights. Like you've got all this fun stuff. It's not just like, oh, we're going to sit and eat or make a meal. Like it, it looks really fun and it's pretty like the, what is a cake sickle? Like yum. <laughs> uh, that is a, a creation from our virtual team. Um, it's basically like a cake and a popsicle mixed together. Um, we, our, um, uh, we have a really awesome uh, PR team. Um, yes. That work with that has um, helped us take our Instagram following from just like a couple thousand to where, what it's at today. They, um, it's just an awesome group that we work with and they're very ahead of the curve on what we should be thinking about from a social presence, from a marketing perspective, um, from a publicity perspective. So we've been blessed and they've kept us constantly uh, you know, in the media during the pandemic. Um, can't tell you the number of times that Forbes and, and Inc. and other, uh, you know, magazines have written about Hungary. Um, so, uh, you know, we were named, you know, one of the most innovative businesses in America by, uh, I think it was Inc. or Fortune. Um, 
so they've just done a great job of keeping us very relevant, uh, you know, in a world where there's lots of other things that the media is focused on. Which is awesome. And so it's like, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, what are the boxing gloves? And then when I asked, like, are you guys going to be doing other things like logistically? And you're like, yeah, the kickboxing and the yoga. And I'm like, ah, that's what that is. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's so genius to like, people pay for convenience too. like, before the pandemic, my mom didn't understand why I would have groceries delivered, why I'd rather get a blowout than doing it myself when I could like sit there and put out proposals and like get some work done. And, but now she gets it and she's like, oh, it's, I don't think I'll ever go back to like buying all these things and I'll just get it off of Amazon. For Mother's Day, she got her own Amazon Prime account. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to order it, all your shit. Right. Not that I mind, but like, every Sunday went to like every other day of like getting text messages and Marco Polo's. And I'm like, you need your own account. Like mom, <laughs> and you've got an Alexa, like you can just voice speak. And you know, it's like wonderful. And she's like, well, they've just made it really easy for us consumers. And I'm like, yes. And it's also like helping build businesses. So it's just, it's, it's incredible. Like what technology has been able to do even like people that are a little bit older that wanted to go to the grocery and wanted to do these things. Like they're seeing how much more time that they can spend with their family and their friends at home, rather than like coupon shopping around. Like it's no longer about the coupons anymore, which is how my mother is. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. Technology has totally changed uh, uh, everything. Pandemic accelerated, you know, how much tech we use. And, you know, some people, you know, are hesitant, but uh, it has, you know, saved the day in a lot of different ways, food delivered, groceries delivered, um, just made life easier. And to your point, you get to spend more time at home with the people that you care about versus spending two hours going grocery shopping. Not to say like, that's bad, you know, do it, you know, but you just don't have to do it as frequently anymore. Um, especially if you need one or two things, you don't need to go all the way to the grocery store, get in your car, burn gas. Um, you can just have it quickly delivered to you and while you, while you stay home and do, do other productive things. And one last thing, like, as we wrap up here, like y'all, like you were like, I'm not a cook. I'm not a chef. Like, you know, I don't do these things, but you saw the need for it. And there was a huge need, I think bigger than you guys ever could have expected. Like when you started this. So just because you're not certified or you don't have the degree or you're a chef, like if you believe in it and you are able to get the right partners because it's hard to do these things alone. Like you've got to lean on partnerships. And like you said, co-founders and, and, uh, we work with a lot of family. I was in a family business. And so it's like, you've got to lean on other people to help you get there. And it's like, not every story is a success story and, and the, the shit's hard, but how you guys really took and saw the need and then ran with it is just incredible. Like congratulations on everything that you guys have done. I, I totally appreciate it. And uh, biggest advice to any entrepreneur is, you know, go find a co-founder, get a co-founder because starting a business alone sucks. Um, so yes. Fun, uh, and, and you'll, you'll quit quickly because you don't have anyone to continue to motivate you to get to the next level. Even when you keep hitting the wall, keep hitting the wall, keep hitting the wall. So um, find a co-founder give them half the company. It's okay. Like the, you, you will survive and then thrive and grow a business versus 
you know, trying to do it alone. And at some point you hit a wall and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to a nine to five. And when you always follow the need, like the needs of other people, like the money comes and, you know, that's something that when I started my businesses, like it wasn't, I had a, I had a corporate job. (laughs) It was just something for fun, but it's like, follow the passion and fulfill and fill the need. And like the money will come. So it, yeah, it, it, it always does. But a lot of younger entrepreneurs, they're so worried about some of the wrong things. And so I'm like, you just have to follow the passion. They're like, well, that's easy for you to say. I'm like, but I went through what you, what you're going through right now, 15 years ago. So, you know, you, you just have to keep going and, and learn how to fill the need of what people are needing. So this was amazing. We'll put everything in the show notes. You guys have to check this out and definitely check out the Instagram because I'm like very, I'm like, I want to go click on all these things and like watch all some of the videos. This is awesome. And I also love how you guys like really uh, empower, like you have your team on here. You have a lot of the different chefs. It's not just all about like celebrity, celebrity, celebrity. It's not always about the celebrity and the money. What I've really learned in working with some people that are in the public eye it's money is a tool and it can help you help so many other people. And so the generosity that some of these people have, you know, they're feeding their towns and and the cities where they're from, like you said, what's important to them is just, I mean, it's just next level. Like it's, it's so awesome. Like how you guys, you, you do have a really good team. I love how they've like put everything together and, and, and they don't make it just about food. It's all about the experience. 100%. 100%. Yeah, totally. Yep. We've great team, great, great. Um, uh, and the focus is all on the team for us. Um, super flat organization and uh, hope that everyone on the team feels very much like they are, you know, at the decision-making table because we've been running the company like that. So hopefully this continues to work for us. It has in the past and don't see why it shouldn't in the future. It's awesome. Well, guys, you got to go check it out. And now I'm hungry, but I have to get to my next podcast and then I'll get to eat something. So (laughs) thank you so much for your time today. I'm so incredibly excited and honored that you took time to be here today and share your story today. Thank you, Angela. Thanks, everyone. And everybody that's listening or watching, be sure to tune in next week to another episode of Business Unveiled. Bye, y'all. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done, would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights. And I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.